Welcome to the Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Michaela Pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California, and chaplain to all the sad professors. I'm Zach Paris. I am the uh, pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder in America's finest and only institute of uh, higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Naropa University. And this week, Matt, um, I consider myself chaplain uh, to the 90s, to the 1990s, because I'm coming to you live from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> the dream of the 90s is alive. It's still alive, man. It's a fantastic song. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what should I do? Do you have Portland experience? I'm in Portland for the, the Campus Ministry Staff Conference, a meeting with the Lutheran yeah. Student Movement National Council to plan LSM 2K. I don't know what year to call it. 2K19, 2K19 uh, in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. Do you have any Portland recommendations, Matt, while I'm here? Well, obviously, Powell's Bookstore mm. uh, is amazing. I've been to that in Hyde Park, in Chicago. Uh, not that one. I think they're actually related somehow. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't, I don't know. It's worth uh, doing some Googling on. But the, the, the Paul's in Portland is uh, much bigger. It's it's massive. It's yeah. a massive bookstore. Very cool. I've been once, you get some... I've been once. I've been to Powell's. been to Rogue, yeah, it's... the brewery. Yeah. I stayed at the Ace Hotel because uh, I wanted to yeah. really, really live the Portlandia dream. This time, as you can see, I'm not at the Ace. I'm at like... The Hampton Inn or whatever, but you could go visit uh, Melissa Reed, a pastor in Portland. Oh yeah, do you know her? I don't. I'm just giving a shout out to somebody that we can then later tag on Facebook. That's how we grow the podcast is by. Yeah, she was at the community organizing training that I went to, the organizing oh. for mission cohort, and she's pastor at Salt and Light Lutheran Church, oh. uh, and pastor and co lead director at Levin Community, Portland. So, yeah, check it out. She's doing cool stuff there. I did notice last time I was there that on the block across from Providence Park, home of the Portland Timbers, there is a Lutheran church. I did not discern whether it's an ELCA Missouri Senate congregation. Uh, and frankly, I don't care. I'll do either one as long as I get to live across the street from the Portland Timbers, who I would love to become a have a legitimate reason to be a fan of. But yeah, I wonder if they do parking. Oh my gosh! I was at a tech study of uh, with the pastor at uh, Holy Trinity at Inglewood, uh, and I guess he said that he was really um, irritated because the ELC had reached out to him and said, "You know, you might consider doing like tailgate church." <laughs> he was like, "That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Can you imagine trying to do something like that?" And I was sitting across from him at the table, and I was like, "Actually, we we do that. It's, it's pretty great." Who reached out to him? Who's the, I don't know, the You know, like, they're always trying to give you ideas when really, like, you can come up with ideas better at the local level. But. When? Who? Mm. Okay. Okay. We got a lot of anger last, uh, last week uh, at the LCA, but how does... <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I hear nothing like from them, thing. but evidently there's a person going around like, hey, tailgate church. Yeah, and, well, the other thing that's funny about that is that, like, nobody has ever reached out to me to say, hey, do you, you guys have been doing this. Do you have any best practices? Anything working well for you? Do you want to share any stories about that? Nobody has ever reached out to me, even though, like, we do this, like, all the time in the fall. So, yeah. Hey, Matt, what resources do you need from Churchwide? <laughs> Just money. Just money. But I'm loving it, Matt. I'm loving Portland Staff Conference. One of my favorite things. I have to work a little bit this week, uh, which is when we get to hang out with uh, friends, colleagues. Um, most important. Oh, I'm going to save it, Matt. I got a nugget that I'm going to save for a little later about my time in Portland. Man, Portland. It's such a cool city. It is. I would like to spend more time. I mean, you got the Portland Trailblazers, too. Oh, one man. year I read uh, The Breaks of the Game, which is one of Bill Simmons' favorite books about mm -hmm. the Portland Trailblazers in the 70s. It's an excellent book. Have you read it? I have not, no. It's good. That would be some good reading for you when you go to Portland. Oh, to Check it out. It. Order a used copy on Amazon. Get a real I was going to buy a copy of from Pals. Oh, that's a good idea, too. It's a good idea. It's really good. Like it's and like drink my stump roast stump house stump town stump town because they're because they're a lumber town lumber so timbers town. yeah Tim, timber yeah. joey cuts yeah. those it's it's Matt I is this an episode of let's talk sports um, yeah definitely can we start with jerseys because the trailblazers have a like have a like a um a low key awesome jersey like you would think mm -hmm. like what is that but it's really like and they stuck with it for so long like they never felt the need to blow up their jerseys like the pistons did yeah with that weird horse for a while no yeah, like they just they just stick with Teal it and then, in then, detroit yeah right no the portland portland stuck with it 
Uh, and then they even like when they had to do like when they need like alternate jerseys, Rip City. What a great name! Oh. And uh, can we also say excellent use of Portland jerseys by the band Portugal the Man? Yes, Maybe you could check them out while you're in Portland. That'd be some good listening oh. for you. Make a Portland Portugal the Man playlist while you're up there. Man, so many changes to choose from. Uh, the Denver Nuggets released uh, new uniforms this week. And I was excited. Yes, right now. I was very excited, Matt. Google it. Pull it up. Uh, But tell me before you see it, if the Denver Nuggets were to rebrand like it was a full it's full rebrand, Matt, not just like we have New Jersey's. Uh, They changed the colors. Uh, We knew Columbia blue was out. That powder blue that they wore with Carmelo in them. What would you want to see in a Nuggets jersey, Matt? Well, that skyline probably. Obviously, that's what the people want. That's the only thing that people want. Instead, what they've done is they brought back burgundy from that, like, if you remember mid-90s, that, like, dark navy gold burgundy kind of, like, deal they had. And most offensively, they did not bring back the skyline. It's just, they look like knockoff versions of the new Pacers jerseys. It's fine not to have great jerseys, man. But when you have the potential to have such beauty, it's disappointing when those those... When you don't achieve what is possible. Where, the, the news article says there's a reimagining of the skyline. Where is that? I don't see it. I don't see it either. One of their secondary logos kind of has it, but it's not. You had spectacular yeah, jerseys. Just go back. They're, they're really terrible. It just says Nuggets in Denver in, like, bold letters, which is very practical. But, like, so I know the Warriors are, like, good at everything, so it's kind of unfair that they also have the best jerseys. That sports, is but like, but, like, so, like, they have the fantastic, like, classic bridge jersey, right? Mm-hmm. But then they're alternates. They've got the one that's, like, uh, what is the Oakland The town one? and the city. The town. The town with, like, the oak tree. Yeah. Right? It's and good. then there's another one that says, um, then they have one that's like for Asian American heritage that says the Bay and oh. it has like the, like a, like the Chinese lion on it. Mm. They and the, the trolley circle. car one. Oh yeah. I mean, they're just like the trolley car. Like it's like, yeah, like it, it's ridiculous to have this like giant image, but it's awesome. Why don't you do that? You have, you have something amazing to work with just, and that's been another episode of let's talk sports jerseys, <laughs> sports fashion. <laughs> The sports fashion corner. Everybody tuning in for their lectionary podcast is. Uh, I am uh, disappointed, Matt. Here's what I'm hopeful for. Last year, when I was in Austin for staff conference, uh, miracle upon miracle, uh, manna from heaven fell, and there was a surprise Dawes concert in the middle of the week in Austin in the back of a warehouse uh, at the newspaper that was available only to locals. But I found my way in where there was free Bud Light, uh, which is a mixed bag, uh, and I got a Dawes show. Uh, that was a blast. So I'm hoping something will happen this week. I know Dawes is not in Oregon. Uh, but Dawes, shout out to Dawes this week. We'll tag him in the podcast. They hooked me up. I bought tickets to a... They have a new album coming out called Passwords. They've done a lot of really fun stuff yeah. around Passwords. You can go to their website and enter some passwords to unlock stuff. Bought tickets to the new tour. They're coming to the Ogden in Denver. Doing a two-set show. Two full sets. And after I bought tickets through the fan club, they gave me the album. A CD for free. I know that you're. I know that you're so impressed with that, but I want to burst your bubble. What? That's what bands are doing now to like sell more albums. You two did the mm. same thing. They gave you an album with every ticket purchased. I thought they gave you an album for every iPhone you bought. Which was yes. Shut up. <laughs> Fuck you. So <laughs> they. Uh, which was really helpful to me because then I got to get two more copies of the used album that then I gave as Christmas presents oh. uh, to people who didn't uh, ask for them. So I, it was just a U2 tradition to give an album to people that don't ask for it. You forcibly like stuck headphones on their heads. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Listen to this. Yeah. Hey, listen, they, but this, listen to Exumi so McCarthy. So then what they do is they count those albums toward their album sales. Yeah. But you can, you can just think they're being nice to you. That's good. I think they sent it to me personally. I don't think they did it. <laughs> you two did the same thing, though. So. They remember that Austin, I, that Austin I, show. I like the practice because I get more CDs to give away to people. Huh. I didn't it's, give you one because I know you already have it. That's, that's right. Oh. I, bought, I didn't keep one for myself because I bought the um, the super special edition double vinyl <laughs> copy that cost way too much money. <laughs> I, did like, I did like the... Uh, on the REM podcast that we're listening to that when Up came out, Adam Scott bought like the special edition and then bought another co- regular copy for himself so he could have it and then bought a copy for his like 
his relatively new girlfriend at the time yeah. so that she could have it while he was away, which I could still relate to because <laughs> I totally did like the same thing with the YouTube album that came out a couple years later. It's oh, like, I really want to find a way for us to hang out with that and Scott because I feel like <laughs> yeah. that's what also we're, we're talking about. Are you talking R.E.M. Me with Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman? Uh, that's one of my other takeaways of that podcast is like, wow. <laughs> I could be friends with Adam Scott. I just <laughs> yeah. think I already am, actually. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm. What uh, uh, What's happening in your neck of the woods these yeah, days? Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, Austin, and uh, I recently read a book about Texas called God Save Texas, A Journey is the Heart of the Lone Star State. Uh, it was interesting. It was featured in the New York Times uh, book review. Uh, contrasted with the book about California, these two, these two tent poles of America, American power and thought and culture. Uh, but I wrote a book about I wrote a book about Texas because we're going to Texas for the ELCA youth gathering. We spent some time uh, ragging on the ELCA earlier, but uh, I do love the the youth gathering. We went to one a couple years ago. We're going to this one. Seventeen kids on an airplane on an all nighter on a red eye. It's red eye. That sounds like a song, man. You could write a song about it. I'm going to write some songs. <sighs> They're going to be country songs because we're going to Houston. So, yeah, we're going to go to Houston, Texas, and uh, that, should be, that should be fun. We had Tyra on the podcast a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, uh, getting ready for it, and uh, maybe we'll do, a, we'll do a little podcast from there. Oh, live from Houston. Wow. With the band. Could be fun. With the band. Cool. I'm finding it a lot harder to do a Texas playlist, though. And it was to do a Detroit playlist. Detroit, you just had Motown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then you could even do some like Eminem and some interesting stuff there. So, but yeah. And I don't know. <laughs> My, well, I mean, you got all the Austin. There's Austin. Let's tap into yeah, the go. You got to go Austin. So our friend, uh, Manuel in, in San Diego, uh, Austin is the only place he likes in Texas. So he's <laughs> flying his group into Austin spending a day there before driving over to Houston. I like, I read a great book, Matt. You should consider reading it. Yeah, there's this place in Texas called Marfa uh, that's in the middle of nowhere, Marfa, Texas, uh, that an artist uh, uh, called Donald Judd, he moved there in the mid-70s and basically built, took over this town and made it an art installation as a town uh, and became kind of this like strange like haven for artists and stuff. So it's this really interesting place and i read a book about it but it's like salvation mountain it's in the middle of nowhere it's like that and le- but like let's imagine that salvation the artist on salvation mountain was good at art it would be like a minimalist sort of thing it's crazy. there's a prada store in marfa which is crazy um <laughs> it doesn't sell stuff but that's like a piece of art is a prada store in marfa <laughs> texas <laughs> according to google there's a lot of good interesting books about uh marfa Sean Wilsey uh, has a book called More Curious uh, that's published through McSweeney's. It centers around Marfa. That's how I was introduced to Marfa. So check out Marfa. I don't think it's, I think it's probably like literally a thousand miles from Houston, but. <laughs> Looks like it. I think it's closer to El Paso. What we'll have to yeah. do, Matt, is do a, get our, go visit our good friend Adam down in Albuquerque, which is closer to Marfa than Houston. Can you sneak over yeah. into Chihuahua? We got a truth or consequences in New Mexico. <sighs> we can visit. Is there something happening in Albuquerque? Is that where the next, uh, is there like a local, a regional LCM thing? Next regional campus ministry staff conference is in Albuquerque. Yes. There is an ELCA congregation in truth or consequences. That's well. a great name. Part of our lovely Rocky Mountains in it. Our vast Rocky Mountains in it. If we wanted to, the Rocky Mountains in it could build a wall uh, and just bring the United States to its knees. Your only hope would be Montana. <laughs> so this has been a discursus into uh, literary cities. Marfa, you're welcome. Good up. Good up. Good up. Uh, I think the times that you're falling into the Marfa hole on the internet, which is vast, wide, and deep, uh, maybe that means it's time for the text. <laughs> Fantastic. It is time for the text. Uh, oh my goodness. So we're continuing to make our way through the uh, David Bowie stories in First Samuel. Uh, still pretty young. He's a lad insane. 
Um, we uh, what, where where were we so far? Last week he was picked out of a lineup. He was. Uh, we had three. We've had we've had three episodes so far in this series. Uh, first episode is the calling of Samuel with Eli, where God calls Samuel and calls him to knock Eli off his corner, uh, and that's what he does. And then uh, on June tenth, the second week, people in chapter eight. We're skipping around a lot. That's the thing I realized this week, Matt. That this story is not mm-hmm. like. There's a reason you don't sit down and read Samuel, uh, because to get a story out of it, we started in chapter three, we went to chapter eight, uh, then we went to chapter 15, 16, uh, and today we find ourselves uh, in 17, so getting a little more, 17, 18, getting a little more condensed. So, first, calling of Samuel, knocking the Eli off the corner. Second, the people of Israel are like, hey, Samuel, your sons are terrible judges, we need a king. Uh, and God says, mm-hmm. I'd rather you not have a king, but if you must, okay, I can work with that. And so they make Saul the king. Turns out that doesn't go very well, uh, and um, King Agag gets uh, hewn into pieces, and Yahweh tells Samuel that he needs to go find this new king, the one true king. Go find Jon Snow, or is his, his command. And so we get an episode of The Bachelor where Samuel takes his one anointed rose, and the sons of Jesse walk past him one at a time. Again, it's emphasized, God does not see as humans do. God doesn't see outer beauty. God only sees inner beauty. And chooses David, who also, by the way, was gorgeous. Amazing eyes. Little boy David. Ruddy. Dark skin, dark complexion. Just beautiful. But again, God didn't see that part. God, God doesn't see color. <laughs> God doesn't see color. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, today, today we come to a famous story. The Philistines. Philistines are the bad guys. The Philistines are like the Nazis of, mm-hmm. uh, of the Old Testament. You know, it's always if the it Nazis. were an Indiana Jones movie. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, if it was an Indiana Jones movie, that's what I mean. I don't think they had concentration um, camps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so either, but I'm saying they're always the villain. They have a standard yeah. for the villain. Yeah. The Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and there came up from the camp of the Philistines a champion named... Andre Goliath. the Giant! Oh, sorry. Yes. Goliath. Goliath. And we have uh, this fantastic... Um, he's wearing the full armor, not of God, but uh, but some serious armor. He has a much better uniform than the uh, Denver Nuggets. He's got a... His height is six cubits in a span, helmet of bronze on his head, armed with a coat of mail, weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, greaves of bronze on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Oh, my goodness. Just this long list. He they had make sure to some major that. issues with his endocrine glands. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a lengthy reading. It's a lengthy reading. It's, it's amazing because it's like a it's a classic like standoff at high noon, but mm-hmm. the actual fight scene is like one verse. <laughs> yeah. So like this is all build up. Bing. It's all build up. Um, so he comes and he shouts at he shouts at Israel, uh, and he's basically like he's basically trash talking. He just trash talks here. Find somebody that this is going to come out and face me. Um, no one's going to be able to face me. I and don't know. They, yeah. if you've heard. I need to interject here. Uh, most recent, we just talk on this podcast about other podcasts, but recently uh, Charles Oakley was a guest on the Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, Charles Oakley, uh, enforcer, we're back to sports uh, in the NBA for a long time, a guy who would not talk trash uh, because he followed through on everything he ever said, uh, had a great line about LeBron and the Cavs. He said, the Cavs are like LeBron and four guys who work for the city. <laughs> That's what he's like. He's like, what do you got? Who's this Israeli aren't? You got David, and you got four guys who work for the city. I'm not too worried. <laughs> well, Goliath right now, right? Goliath and four guys? Goliath and four guys. Well, no, Goliath would be saying that to the Israeli aren't, like in trash talking to the Israelis, right? Well, David hasn't showed up yet. Okay. All right. So All you got is Saul and four guys from you the just city. Got, you just got, well, I don't know. Goliath Maybe it's not a like perfect LeBron. metaphor, but it was I feel funny. like Goliath is LeBron. I feel like that's what's happening here. Definitely. Uh... Yeah, because Goliath Except is like, Goliath, I think, is favored, whereas LeBron was not favored going into the finals. Yeah, that's true. But I was a little, I was worried coming into it because he <laughs> just, I couldn't believe he got that far. I know. And then if he won, it was like, I, know. The, I don't know. But then anyway. Goliath punched the, the blackboard <laughs> and broke amazing. his hand. I'm genuinely, I don't know where he's going to go next. I mean, like, I know everybody thinks he's going to the Lakers. So why would you go to the Lakers? Like, they're not, they're not going to be good. Like, you're not going to have a better team than you have right now because they're terrible. Money, money. I know, but I just don't. I don't see it. I think that he'd rather have a ring. I feel like I don't know. Must be a billionaire owner, first billionaire player. 
I don't know, man. I don't know. So Goliath. Uh, so Goliath. <laughs> this is another episode of NBA. Um, yeah. So and th- so this is really important, though. The Israelites' response uh, is not to pull themselves together. When Saul, the bad king, and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Saul is afraid. Like, that's their response, is to be afraid. If you take the lesson from what happened last week, when Samuel was afraid, God reassured him and said, hey, just take a cow. Yeah. Just take a heifer with you. (laughs) Maybe they didn't have cows this time. No cows. No cows. Uh, Saul and Jesse's sons and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah. Is that a movie? The Valley of Elah? I feel like that's... Anyway, fighting with the Philistines. Uh, All right. David gets up early in the morning. Leaves the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. Uh, I have had a hard time following this, but I remember from my children's Bible that basically uh, David is bringing lunch mm-hmm. to his brothers who are fighting. Yep. David is too young for the draft. He's too young for the draft. He shouldn't even be there. He's, He's a ball boy. Care of the sheep. Yeah, take care of the sheep. He brings his brother's lunch. He's the guy he rub- who wipes the sweat off the floor. <laughs> he leaves the stuff uh, with the ball boy, with the keeper of the baggage ran to the ranks, went and greeted his brothers, and then Goliath comes out, he talks. He gives him this trash talking again, and David hears him. And David goes and speaks to the king, which this is kind of like uh, speaking out of order, right? Like, we yeah. go, he just goes right to the king? <laughs> yeah, I can't just speak to Adam Scott. we got to go through people before I can even set up a meeting with Adam hey. Scott. Hey, uh, hey, LeBron, says this kid <laughs> in the crowd. Hey, LeBron. This is really like, this is more like Space Jam. (laughs) Hey guys, drink this water. This is some special stuff. You gotta drink it. David said to Saul, uh, yeah, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant, I'll go and fight with him. I've got flubber. (laughs) I'll do it. And Saul's like, you are not able to do this. You're just a boy. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Uh, but David said to Saul, yeah, but like I used to keep sheep and I would fight lions and bears and I would I've been killing lions and bears. OK, uh, your servant. And then it gets really gory. So I love this. Uh, your servant. This was not in the children's Bible. Your servant has killed both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> so try that in your, in your trash talking next time you do a little three on three. I will hey, you take it back to old St. Thomas. Your uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. Hmm. And David says uh, this uh, wonderful prayer. Uh, I believe this is the sinner's prayer. The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. Hmm. So Saul said to David, all right, go ahead. <laughs> the Lord right. be with you. <laughs> go and may the Lord be with you. May the force be with you. So uh, is this some yeah. foreshadowing, Matt? Maybe we should lift this up. What right? do you think? Um, uh, so the audience here has knowledge that the characters I don't think do, right? Saul certainly doesn't know that David is anointed to become the king at this point. And he's, he sends David, this young, untested uh, boy, to fight this giant warrior. If the warrior kills him, unbeknownst to him, Saul would be protected from a rival. And there would not be a challenge to the throne. Which I believe... Uh, spoilers is a thing that's going to come up and happen in this story a little later down the road. Yeah. And I mean, there is, there's definitely a contrast and we're going to see some more contrast here. Well, let's keep going and then we'll lift up the contrast. So Saul um, gives David armor, clothes David with his armor, puts a bronze helmet on his head, clothes him with a coat of mail. It's a mithril, mithril. It, um, it was like, it was like credit card offers, (laughs) <laughs> CDs from AOL all the junk yeah. mail you know so I heard about this uh, I think this is an episode of Supreme Court cases I heard about this court, this case in Ohio where they, they won the right to purge people from the rolls and what they do is they send you a card in the mail saying do you want your registration to remain active since you didn't vote in the next election the last election and I'm like I'm just I get so much junk mail like 90% of the mail I get yeah. is junk mail but you're going to send this vitally important document in the mail through the post office, along with all the other, like, ridiculous, like, junk mail that I get. It's ridiculous. Code of mail. This also here, junk mail. This has been another uh, edition of Supreme Court Watch. Uh, <laughs> because 
David, oh yeah, he puts his sword on too and tries to walk. He can't do it. David's like, I can't walk with these. I'm not used to them. So David takes it all off because it's totally worthless. It's junk mail. David. Did he take it all off or just the armor? Does it? He said, it says he removed them. Okay, so he's not naked. Because that would be a move. That would be a move if he completely disrobed (laughs) and walked out there with just the sling. I think David's going to do that later. Is that a euphemism? I don't know. A couple weeks later. Uh, so David just dresses like he takes his staff. Uh, he takes five smooth stones uh, and put them. See, in the, you read bag. that differently if he's naked, right? <laughs> puts them in a separate bag. A handful of smooth stones. Takes the stones in the pouch. Uh, slings in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine comes out. So here again, like so. Here's the contrast, right? So Saul is afraid. And Saul's protection, the only protection Saul can think of is armor, just traditional mm-hmm. armor. And David is like, uh, I'm not afraid. Uh, I have the living God who's already protected me from other things. So I'm going to put my faith in the living God. Huge contrast here between David and the current King Saul. The Philistine came and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He was only a youth, uh, but ruddy and handsome in appearance. <laughs> That's true. Let's strike it. <laughs> the Philistine says to David, Am I, I believe you verse come? 41 actually starts, the Philistine came on to David. <laughs> There's some romantic undertones to this. That's all I'm saying. And then they do some uh, some trash talking, and they, uh, they kind of escalate things a little bit. Philistine says to David, uh, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. Sky burial. Uh, right, totally. And uh, David, though, says to the Philistine, no, no, uh, you got a sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, mm. the, guard of, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Um, so what's going to happen is this. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So they come to meet each other. It's high noon, quick draw. David runs to the battle line. I imagine this almost like um, dodgeball. He runs to the battle line. There's like a line in the center and they're racing to the center. So David gets to the middle, grabs the stone, strikes the Philistine on his forehead. The stones sink into his forehead and Goliath falls face down on the ground. Word of God, word of life. Wow. I know, great story. David does turn up the... uh turn up the uh, the trash talk heat there that's that's pretty like yeah i'm gonna do that to the whole army of your of uh of the philistines uh almost as good as when kevin garnett told carmelo anthony that his wife smelled like honey nut cheerios uh there is a i mean there is a lot of trash talking there's a lot of speechifying like there's so much build-up to the actual action scene that happens um, I guess I want to lift up, you know, like this story is often told as like a, an underdog story mm-hmm. and that's great. That's probably true. Like dodgeball. Uh, semicolon, yeah, an underdog story is the name of the film. It's a great movie. Uh, basically it's, what, it's based on this story. That's the definitely based on the story. But the thing that the story wants to emphasize, uh, is the presence of the living God and David's faith in the living God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really, I just think it's a really helpful, uh, story, you know, as I've been wrestling lately with, um, the powers and principalities in our neighborhood, in our community, and how do you, you know, you're a tiny little church. Uh, can you make a difference? Um, you're one person, you're one community. How can you make a difference? Um, it seems like everyone else has more money more people what can you possibly do um and here's a story about uh put your faith in the living god and uh don't be afraid don't be afraid it's a great little story i like it i like it i mean i think that's i like i like that emphasis matt that's again i think we're we're hitting some summer comfort food again stories that are familiar to folks i don't think there's there's really anything wrong with like kind of the underdog story it's an extension in a lot of ways of what last week was with mustard seeds and and god choosing david uh who was the smallest and weakest but clearly most beautiful but if you're looking for a new take on an old story i think uh or an unexpected take on the old story i think it's that presence of the living god yeah so i would say again coming off of this um off of my community organizing training i've just been thinking about this so 
So I do. I definitely think it's an underdog story. But my question, my challenge to you, preacher, is to think about where David's where David's power comes from and what it looks like. So at the first glance, you would think that Goliath has all the power in the story. And you could take this as a metaphor for any kind of two powers coming up against each other. But rather than just saying the underdog is always going to win, think about what it means for David. Like, what is the power that David is placing his faith in? The power of the living God. And then explore that a little bit more. What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, So, yeah. And I think what it means, if we can tease that out a bit, man. um, I think maybe the... A part of this story that doesn't get a lot of shine, typically, uh, is the part of David taking the armor off, uh, embracing the vulnerability. I think that may be a a really helpful place to go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, like, I can give you two ways to think about it. For example, so, like, um, this is so horrible. I need, like, more examples than... um, And Dr. King. But if you want to think about like this, like think about uh, nonviolent direct action, right? Think about like what it means for various powers to go up against one another. Um, what kind, what does it mean to place your power, place your faith in something other than um, traditional forms of power, right? What does that look like in practice to faith, put your faith in the living God? Um, what does that look like? Uh, what does that look like in practice? Look at some examples in history of what that might look like. Um, and then I actually, so I, I broke the lectionary rules last week, Zach. What? Yeah, I know. So I actually pre-sent this text uh, on June 10th because it was graduation Sunday for us. And I really wanted to use the refrain, uh, you slay. <laughs> for one of our graduates who loves Beyonce. And I thought, oh, this text is perfect. I'm going to look ahead a few weeks and I'm going to steal this text. And thinking about the challenges that we face in life, um, particularly as you as you graduate from something, right? Think about a challenge you just you just did, and then the new challenge that lies ahead of you. Um, and just kind of think about what that looks like in life. Um, and uh, yeah, so I thought a little bit about the the faith of the gathered community, um, the way that uh, that folks in my congregation support the graduates as they come up. It's like we had our biggest crowd since Easter for graduation Sunday. It's just like the rhythm of St. Mark's. Um, and I think that means something, right? It says something about um, the way that we support uh, people that are that are coming up through life. So I think that's another way to think about this, too. What are you putting faith in? Where does your power come from? Um, just give some thought to that. I also want to, Zach, before we move on to the gospel, uh, this is a weird lectionary week where it actually gives you two options. So if, uh, if the story of David and Goliath was not enough of a hit single for you. You also have an alternate First Samuel text. There's First Samuel uh, 17, 57 to 18, 5, 10 to 16, which is basically the aftermath of this text. And I just want to look at it real briefly since we're working our way through these David stories. Um, David returns from killing the Philistine. Abner takes and brings him before Saul, and David is carrying the head of Goliath in his hand. <laughs> so he carries the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul says to him, whose son are you, young man? Whose mm. son are you? And David says, I'm the, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Interesting stuff going on mm. with David and Jonathan there. Jonathan gives David his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. Um, there's a weird bonding that happens between J- Jonathan and David. Who's Jonathan? Uh, he just shows up out of the blue here. He just shows up out of the blue. I, I think that he showed up before, but we just haven't seen him in the lectionary. He's uh, Saul's son. Saul's son. Um, and then Saul, it says, the next day an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house. While David was playing... Uh, the lyre, the lyre, the, the guitar, basically, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul threw the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice, and Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. Uh, so Saul says, all right, I'm going to send David away from my presence and just make him a commander of the army, but that just makes David more and more popular. <laughs> so David gets really popular in Israel and Judah. All Israel and Judah love David, for it was he who marched out and came in leading them. So Saul and David missed his chance. Relationship. Game of Thrones continues. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's what we got on David this week. That's what we got on David. I like it. I like it, Matt. We found 
some nuance, some new takes on old texts. I like, we've got another familiar text over in the Gospel of Mark that, again, we're still so barely done anything here in Mark. We're still in the fourth chapter. Uh, and when evening came, Jesus said, disciples, let us go across to the other side. That's an important little note. Uh, it was evening. There are two things that people in the ancient Near East uh, feared because they were beyond human control. One uh, is the sea, which we're going to get a uh, little bit of here, right? You can go back to the beginning of Genesis, uh, where the sea is this primal, uh, primordial chaos uh, beyond the control of humans. And the other one is the darkness, is night. They did not have electricity, uh, and so... When it got dark at night, it was dark, and you couldn't see anything, and you didn't burn candles and that kind of stuff in your house, because candles were super expensive and hard to get a hold of, uh, and you did not know what was in the darkness. It was a thing you could not protect yourself from, uh, which is a thing, perhaps we still feel that way about the sea, if you've watched Sequest, uh, which is an excellent show. Sequest DSV. DSV. Uh, or if you watch Titanic, both 90s pop culture phenomenon. But the darkness, we feel like, I think we've mastered, right? Everything is lit up and I've got lights and I can drive my car at night. But Jesus says, not only let's get in the boat. Hey, it's dark outside. Let's go to the most dangerous place we know of. And everybody's like, okay, I guess so. And they left behind the crown that he was with. And they took him into the boat just as he was. That's an interesting little participle to throw on there, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat the boat. And the boat started to be swamped. Water started to come into the boat. Their worst fears are being realized. A perfect storm. Uh, we have got Ice Cube involved in this somehow, I think. Was he involved in one of those boat perfect storms sort of movies? Uh, not the perfect oh. storm, but... Uh, Anyway, deep, deep blue sea. Is that it? Yeah, I think Very, it's that one. Yeah, that works for me. Uh, but Jesus was just in the stern. They had a cushion, which was awful nice. Uh, and he just slept on it. And they woke him up and they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And then the wind ceased and there was dead calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, which, by the way, that's the thing that Saul was filled with in that mm. alternate reading at David. Uh, they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Within mm. the structure of Mark, what's probably most important about this story, uh, again, power dynamics are essential to understanding Mark. And this is a story about proving Jesus' power and understanding, beginning to understand who he is, because Jesus has power over these non-human forces. Uh, humans were seen as powerless before the darkness and before the sea. And Jesus calms the winds and calms the sea, establishing his identity and credentials uh, as one who clearly has power. If you're looking for that connection to, to, to David putting down his armor, if you're looking for to explore some of where that power of the Lord uh, comes from that fills David with, the power of the living God, perhaps it comes with this supreme cosmic power of Jesus is manifested only in the midst of, of some pretty incredible vulnerability of getting on a boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm. If you want to see, if you want to be a part of uh, the work of that awesome cosmic power of God, uh, you got to go to these places of deep vulnerability and danger. Amen. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think that's so critical, the way that the story starts. Um that it starts with them going across to the other side, right? To this other community, a community that they would, um, they would normally be afraid of. I feel like it's a really interesting, if you think about it, um, not just as, a, you know, Jesus controlling the weather, but, um, but even as a metaphor for what happens when you try to do something like that, when you try to be vulnerable, uh, when you try to build a bridge with a person or a community, uh, that you're not used to, or that you might be in conflict with that sometimes that's a stormy thing, right? Uh, look at this as a metaphor for conflict in a community, particularly conflict when you're trying to actually do a challenging thing and conflict arises. And then how do you respond to that? What do you, what, what's your anchor when the conflict rises up? Do you, do you just freak out like the disciples do? Um, or are you the non-anxious presence? Do you root yourself uh, in the non-anxious presence of God, as Peter Steinke might say? Um, I think that's a really interesting thing. And I think there are real connections, even though these are semi-continuous and not complementary readings. I mean, what a similarity this week, right? Where it's, where it's like this thing arises that the people are afraid of. Um, and then there's this figure that arises that has deep faith. Uh, and gives a different response. 
um, to inspire the people and give the people a different way of approaching this thing that was that was scary. Uh, contextually, there there's a lot of uh, Jesus has troubled the waters. How about that? You like that? Um, that at the beginning of chapter, in the middle of chapter three, which leads up to this, we got some teachings. You got parable of the sower, mustard seed, that kind of stuff. Uh, Jesus really like blows apart family, the family kinship groups, which were the backbone of society. And Jesus has said, no, that's not like that's that's not how this new thing's going to be organized. And so there's real like. Where he asks, who are my mother and father and my sister and brother, but those who do the will of God, uh, is not just a metaphor, but he's saying everything that you know about society is going to be turned on its head. Um, So here we get the literal version of that figurative stormy seas. I got to say, as as an Enneagram 4, this text really speaks to me because I have a tendency to get emotionally invested, be that emotional storm just blown about and sort of remain still in the midst of the emotional storm is a, is a challenge, but it's what you got to do. You got to do it. Matt, got to have that moment of stillness in the midst of it. I'm going to, I'm going to want to bounce something off of you. I've been, I've been thinking this is related to that. You said Enneagram before. I am wondering, Matt, I'm starting to think that maybe, uh, some people may be familiar. Uh, one of the things that passes around that's not always particularly helpful, uh, is a chart of like spirituality types. And so normally there's like a feely spiritual type, like a hearty uh, kind of one. There's a head, like intellectual spirituality one and a doing spirituality. Um, And then there's like another box for mystic and everybody is always like, yeah. And then there are mystics uh, in the other box. And like, nobody has any like idea of what that means and stuff. I am starting to wonder if I'm a mystic, Matt, not in the sense that like, I think I'm a great mystic, right? Like I have mystical, like, in line with the mystics, but I feel like I feel like maybe I have a mystic spirituality. Um, was doing coffee with a student this week who had a really simple question and wanted to know they're going to be in our leadership team in the fall. And when we interviewed, uh, we had interviews with our leadership team people. One of the things we asked them this year was, "What is a what is an area of growth that you think being a part of leadership can help you grow in um, that you want to?" to improve or to grow in, right? Um, and they said that they wanted to be able to better explain their faith, um, which makes sense, uh, especially in the place where we find ourselves. Um, it's not a given part of life, um, and the atmosphere is, is often very antagonistic to folks uh, who have a religious identity and, and feel that that's a part of them. And what I told them and what we're going to try to do um is not figure out like what tenets of Christianity or Lutheranism that you agree with and find uh, and think are probably true. Uh, But let's go into your stories, um, highlighting some of the stuff we've talked about, right? Let's go find the stormy parts of life. Uh, Let's go find uh, the places where you had to take off your armor and see where new life came in the middle of that. Because if you can find one of those stories, uh, of your stories where you find that one of these stories is true, that's going to mean a lot more to you and to everybody else. I'm on board with the Augsburg Confession. Um, all that to say, I think that's what a mystic spirituality is, Matt, um, is being able, uh, perhaps comes through the practice and the discipline of being able to see the world in a different way, right? Like I think, I know this is going to sound incredibly uh, self-absorbed and narcissistic and stuff, but I'm a four, so I think that's just par for the course. Um, I feel like the work of doing, like, the podcast, of preaching every week, uh, one of of my the, the process of formation that I've benefited from has been developing a way of kind of seeing the world theologically. Um, hmm. In the same, like in the way, I'll tie in last week, we talked about Tanasi Coates and Neil Gaiman's dream. They both play with this idea of a dream and, 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 and the dream isn't real, right? Like you can't see the dream. It doesn't exist, uh, but it's very much real. Uh, and so it takes time, energy, perhaps gift, right? To sharpen, to be able to see the things that are happening that aren't there for your plain eyes, right? Because uh, I feel like a lot of my frustrations with the church, perhaps, with the larger church, with others, uh, is that I get frustrated that people can't see the things that I feel like I can, that are plainly there to see. So I'm a mystic. That's the answer. Mystic. You're a mystic. I'm a mystic. 
We should find a word for it that's less pretentious than mystic. It's a pretty good word. Is that related to the video game Mist? I hope so, because I played the hell out of that on my Windows 3.1. But we didn't have the internet, and so I didn't know what the point was. Right? Which was the trouble. People aren't going to understand this. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Nintendo game, the NES game. I always got to one point because I did not, and Mario Brothers 2, I did not understand what the point of like what we were supposed to be doing next. And there weren't instructions or anything, right? Like you were just like, I just keep playing around on this level to figure out how to get out of here. And if you can't, you can't. And that's just like, time just keeps running out. Or you get electrocuted underwater with those like electric. (laughs) I think I remember that game. It was super hard. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on NES, <laughs> super hard. Super hard. <laughs> mm. We did it, Matt. We did it. What do you listen to? Oh, Matt, what a week. For I mean, I am loving the summer of Bowie. This is infinitely better than the summer of Genesis. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> Just something in the air uh, this summer. Um <laughs> Matt, the first one, most obvious, uh, off of of an album of the same name, you got to go with Heroes, uh, which I didn't really realize was a David Bowie song. I thought it was just a, a Jacob <laughs> Dylan. That's right, Jacob Dylan song from the Godzilla soundtrack. Which, ironically, it turns out is all fair play, because uh, Bowie, uh, it turns out, spent most of his early years just mimicking Dylan and rewriting Dylan songs. And so then uh, The Wallflowers and Jacob Dylan Respit it back out. But, right, we get David uh, being a hero. That fits. Um, but also the kind of chorus is is small as well, granular. Uh, we can be heroes for just one day that maybe we're not called to fight Goliath uh, in this massive battle. Wouldn't that be nice if that's the, the battles we were called uh, to fight were so clearly battles and storms? Uh, but uh, perhaps a piece of the good news this week might be that our little resistance, uh, our little resistance to the powers that be uh, matter that we can be heroes for just one day. Bowie heroes. That's fantastic. I had that one too. So maybe I'll throw on the, uh, the wallflowers cover. Yeah. (laughs) There's also, I also like that that song is in quotes, Mm. like it's quote heroes. If you see it on like a, an album, it's always, it's in quotes. I'm curious. There's a Peter Gabriel song called Heroes from the Stranger Things soundtrack. Is that a cover of the song? I wonder. I know. We can hear it. Can you hear it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But it's like super slow. Yeah. I don't know if I like it. Mm, I don't know, Mm. Peter Gabriel. We're going to relegate you to the Summer of Genesis. All right, what else you got? Oh, on 1984's Tonight, uh, which, Matt, I, I did this week. I listened to a lot of, like, 90s, 80s Bowie, which left much to be desired. Uh, but there is a track called Dancing with the Big Boys. And so uh, I'm going to put Dancing with the Big Boys on the on the playlist. And finally, Matt, we are on a boat in the gospel. Uh, going to move away from Bowie. If we are going to be on a boat in the gospel, Matt, and it's the summertime, it's time for some yacht rock. Uh, so... I'm putting on the playlist this week, Christopher Cross, Sailing. (laughs) Fantastic. Sailing takes me away to where I've always heard it could be. Just a dream in the wind to carry me, and soon I will be free. There's some cruciform good news in Christopher Cross. (laughs) (laughs) There's some cruciform good news in Christopher Cross. Ah. That's going to be on the next (laughs) t-shirt. Yes. I just got it. What are you listening to, man? That's all I got. Yeah, so I had that hero song too. And then um, I'm thinking about, so that's for that first one. And then um, for the second, uh, the second first Samuel reading, not second Samuel, the second first Samuel reading, uh, Ziggy Stardust, because here David is playing guitar. Ziggy mm. played guitar. And here's he David. Did. David's rise to stardom begins. And David's, a, David's a, an, he's an artist. I mean, I think later, uh, by legend, David's going to write the Psalms, all of them, by hand. How? But he's, uh, he had so much time. So, uh, he did everything. Yeah, he is. He's like a he's a he's he's a Donald Glover. He's a multidimensional yeah. artist here. Sure. Man, I like it, David. David. Uh, and then um, uh, because there's this storm, uh, U2's "Electrical Storm." One of my favorite songs. I really love U2 "Electrical Storm." And then uh, inspired by this, uh, are you talking REM? podcast where we've been listening to up 
How about R.E.M.'s Walk on Afraid? Mm, that's, so a good one. that's a good song, texts, too. Right? How about Walk on Off Afraid? Off of Up, Walk right? Afraid. Is it Up? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. You always forget what it's on because, oh, man. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's on Up. Walk on Afraid. I'll so, yeah. sorry instead. Gosh, it's good. It's good. It turns out, Matt, I'd forgotten when I was listening to the Up soundtrack that, like, I have so listened to the Up uh, album that uh, I know all the words to all of the songs without <laughs> the thing that I know is inside that I don't that is inside of me that I don't consciously know. So <laughs> I like it, man. We got good stuff. We got good, good stuff. stuff. You gotta, can you distill it into good news this week? <sighs> Why do you always want good news? All right, so as if I was a proclaimer of the good news or something. <laughs> The Proclaimers not on the playlist this week. I feel like they might be Giants should be on the playlist this week. Um. Well, the good news that I preached uh, on graduation Sunday was uh, you slay, which people really got into. We did it as a refrain, uh, and I called out graduates by name and described things that they had done nice. and had the congregation say, uh, you know, person by name, uh, repeat after me, you know, like, turn, like, and... You slay. And the whole congregation, it was like a refrain. It was great. That's People really... fun. I, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, as long as you had fun. I preached a um, good one this week, man. Uh, yeah? I hit on uh, Anthony Bourdain a little bit. Um, mm, yeah. Oh, gosh. I talked about the Sequoias. Did I... Oh, I'll save it for another time on the podcast, but... Oh, the, the 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 tidbit from earlier that I held back is that in Portland, I'm going sailing with Greg Schaefer. Uh, we're going to listen to some cr- seriously happening. I've got to make sure to play some Christopher Cross and i got to buy some boat shoes. Uh, <laughs> Please do. Please do. I will. I'm not kidding. I'm... You got good news? What is it? You slay. You That's know, what your good news was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what would be fun uh, if I do if if I host a live podcast from the gathering? Can can you? We should have done a live podcast of this text on the boat that you would record uh, from. We should have, yeah. <laughs> There's no way it would have gone wrong. <laughs> can you, at some point on the boat ride, just say, "Greg, do you not care that we are perishing?" <laughs> yes. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. <laughs> will do. I'll report back. We'll be. I'll be okay. coming to you live next week. I'm full disclosure. I'm not actually in Portland right now, uh, but I will be in Portland when you hear this. But we'll do live from Portland. I'll try to get some people around and stuff. Get yeah. surprise guests. Okay, I forgot about that. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been real. It's been real vinyl. <laughs> <laughs>